Hey, it's Kanzano. I appreciate you making this podcast part of your day. Make sure you subscribe if you want more and leave us some feedback. Away we go. Initialize sequence. Welcome to The Baldcast, a production of John Kanzano's Baldface Truth. Back to The Baldface Truth with John Kanzano on 750 The Game. We'll get more on the Blazers trade later in the program. Sean Hyken, Bleacher Report, will be joining us talking about the Blazers landing Jeremy Grant for a 2025 first-round draft pick. Our next guest has his finger on the pulse of Utah athletics from the Salt Lake Tribune. Josh Newman joining us now. How are you, sir? John, I'm well. How are Good. we? Good. I love your how clear your phone is. It's like Kyle Whittingham does the same damn thing. I was on the phone with him the other day. He was he was on a landline. Are you on a landline? No, I am not on on a landline. I don't even have a landline. I guess I guess I'm a little Man. too old for a landline. A little Man. too young for a landline. Excuse me. <laughs> you were say that. Uh, Newman, <laughs> let me ask you something. Uh, you know, everybody's picking Utah. Everybody's looking at the preseason poll. I can tell you already, it's going to be Utah. You know, it's going to be Utah. So let's let's nitpick it a little bit just to start. Before we talk about how great they're going to be, where are the questions for this Utah football team? Uh, man, there are multiple questions. Uh, in, in my personal opinion, the big question on offense is um, at wide receiver, which it hasn't exactly been a position of strength over, over the last few years, but that's been okay because obviously Utah wants to run the ball. They're good up front. You have two legitimate pass-catching tight ends in Brand Keithy and Dalton Kincaid, who were both very, very good last season. Um, but, look, once you got past Britton Covey at wide receiver, you didn't really have a ton there, right? You didn't have a, a prototypical number one guy. Um, I don't know that they have a prototypical number one guy now. Um, Devon Valet, who has been in the program for a few years now, people are expecting him to kind of step into that number one role. And, you know, look, he's got the size – and he has experience. He can, you know, go downfield over the top of of a defender. But my question there is, is he capable of doing that? Because he hasn't been asked to be this guy before. Like, can he go into the swamp on September third and catch nine balls from rising? I don't know. We think he can, but I just don't know because he hasn't done it yet. You know, wide receiver. Um, it's young beyond ballet. Um, you know, so we'll see what happens there on defense. You. You look at linebacker, uh, Devin Lloyd, gone to the NFL. Nephi Sewell, gone to the NFL. That is a very, very talented linebacker room, but you just don't have a lot of game reps because, again, Devin Lloyd played 45 games, started 35 of those games. Nephi Sewell was entrenched as a starter for the last two seasons. So, you know, you've got a guy like Kareni Reed who, who, who showed some things last year. Uh, Lander Barton is, you know, this 18-year-old stud freshman you know the crown jewel of this, of, <clears throat> excuse me, of this recruiting class. Um, Mahmoud Diabate is a Florida transfer. A lot of SEC experience there. Older guy hasn't played in Morgan Scally's system yet. We'll see what happens there. So, I think that when you look at the Pac-12, I think that Utah's projected 22 
is better than everybody else's projected 22, but you've got a lot of guys expected to step into roles that haven't done it yet. So to me, there's a lot of question marks going into camp. It's fascinating to me to see, you know, you look back on a season that's successful, you do see things that went right. When you look back to last season, Josh, what really fell into place to make it work at Utah? I mean, I think the obvious thing that stands out is, you know, the quarterback situation, right? We had a a quarterback competition here between Cam Rising uh, and Charlie Brewer. And, you know, Charlie Brewer walked in here as this, you know, prolific four-year guy at Baylor, right, threw for 9,700 yards and and 60-plus touchdowns. And I think a lot of us thought that Brewer would, you know, would kind of walk in here and, and take command of the job, but that's not how it went. Like, Rising, coming off shoulder surgery, was healthy. And he pushed... You know, we pushed Brewer to the limit. It went to the last couple of days of camp before Prep had to start for the opener. Brewer won the job. Uh, it turns out that, you know, they were trying to jam a square peg into a round hole. Um, you know, Rising comes in at San Diego State week three. Uh, Brewer leaves the program. And things just kind of fell into place. And, you know, Rising, even before all this, Rising had command of the locker room. He is highly, highly respected by his teammates by the coaching staff, by Kyle Whittingham. So once once that settled down and Rising came in and, you know, he went nuts at USC, he threw for like 315 yards, had a few big games beyond that, and then he was very, very solid. And he was a leader in the locker room, you know, during the season, uh, after Aaron Lowe's death, you know, people rallied around Rising. He's that type of kid, that type of personality. So, you know, the fact that the quarterback situation – fell into place, even if it did fall into place a little later than people, you know, kind of would have liked, it did fall into place, and Rising's play and his calm and his moxie, that's why, that's a huge reason why Utah did what it did last year and went to the Rose Bowl. What scares Utah fans right now? Looking outside, the, you know, it used to be a lot of people talked about Oregon, but I felt like maybe that thing got settled at Utah last year. I believe it was... You know, in uh, in in November or October, November, I can't remember when the game was. It was such a nightmare for Oregon, but it you know that kind of got settled. Is it now USC, Josh? Yeah, yeah. I I think that USC is the focus of of Utah fans, and you know that was before you know the Pac-12 did away with divisions, even right. Like you were looking at the Pac-12 South, and it was Utah, and then you know USC hires Lincoln Riley. He completely revamps the roster, hits the transfer portal. Uh, Caleb Williams comes in, Jordan Addison comes in, and, you know, we're looking at, like, Clash of the Titans here, right, on October 15th when USC comes in. That's, you know, that's what the fans are looking at. And now, you know, you're getting rid of divisions, and it's going to be the top two teams going to the Pac-12 championship game. And I don't know that anything has changed. And, yeah, I think I think a lot of the focus – look, Utah fans are very, very focused on, on two things. They're focused on the opener at Florida, September 3rd, and as, as I've said, ad nauseum, biggest opener in Utah football history. If you think you're a college football playoff contender and you go into the swamp and win, your season begins to take a certain a certain turn. It has a certain look to it. You can do something significant, something special if you beat Florida. They're focused on that, and they're focused on October 15th when USC comes in here. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that both those teams are 6-0. and when USC comes in here, if 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 Utah specifically is six and zero, you might be sniffing the top seven, top five, 
you're a legitimate college football playoff contender. So two biggest games in the year. One is the biggest opener in school history. Uh, one is, you know, could be one of the biggest home games in program history if things shake out correctly. Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune with us. Terrific read. You can read him on the Salt Lake Tribune's website. Make sure you're following him on Twitter as well. Uh, this conference needs a playoff contender. Utah is the likely suspect. You, you touched on it, you know, a 6-0 and start and what that could look like. This team, though, this program a year ago, I felt like they were really locked in. There was a lot of tragedy. There was a lot of emotion. Kyle Whittingham and that team just kind of put its nose down and bulldozed the rest of the conference. It, is there... Is that, you know, I'm wondering where the fire is going to come from, you know, after they've been to a Rose Bowl, or or did they leave it hungry after losing to Ohio State? That's a great question. Um, look, you don't want to you don't want to have complacency, right, given what what went on last year. And to be clear, like, you know, they, they, they got to the mountaintop. Like, the reasonable expectation for Utah football every year is to be winning the is to be winning the Pac-12 South, which no longer exists, winning the Pac-12 championship, and getting to a Rose Bowl. Getting to a Rose Bowl is a reasonable, attainable expectation for this Utah football team at this point every year, and they got there. But I, 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 will, I will say, and this, this is what sticks out to me about Rose Bowl week last year, is that I remember talking to Brand Keithy, right, the tight end, uh, during Rose Bowl prep, and, and we started talking about you know, rising and what the season was and what the season could have been if rising had started the opener and Brewer, you know, never played. And Brand Keithy was very, very adamant that with rising at quarterback that they could get to a college football playoff. Um, nobody's really talking about that a ton, but I, that, that really stuck out to me that Brand Keithy was willing to put himself out there in his belief that if rising had started, they could have run the table. With Rising starting now, from day one, his belief, he, he was very adamant that they can get to a college football playoff. You don't hear Rising talking about those things. You don't hear Kyle Whittingham talking about those things. Uh, you and I talk about these things, right, the media members. You know, some of us believe that, you know, it's a real possibility that Utah could do something significant. But um, I don't think there's any complacency. That's not really how Rising is, is, uh, is wired. Um, comes from a competitive background, competitive family, you know, the youngest of three sons, uh, grew up with this alpha male type of athletic-driven father. I don't think Rising is going to be very complacent. And if I know Kyle Whittingham, he's not very complacent either. So I think that uh, they left some things on the field at the Rose Bowl. Uh, they lost that game. Uh, they, you know, they think they can get back there and win that game. So I don't think anybody is uh, being or acting too complacent right now. Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune with us. Devin Lloyd at linebacker was a force. I thought he was the best player in the Pac-12 Conference uh, championship game. Thought he outplayed Kayvon Thibodeau. How do you replace a guy like that who goes off to the NFL? You don't. Um, you don't. He's the greatest, the greatest uh, defensive player in Utah football history. Did so much for them sideline to sideline, coming off the edge, did everything for that defense. You don't replace a guy like that. As I said earlier here, you have options in your linebacker room. You have a lot of talented options, but that talent is very green. I think personally that Mahmoud Diabate, 
Florida transfer, 30-plus-some-odd games at the SEC level. He's coming off a shoulder injury, but he is a huge piece of the puzzle and a huge get out of the portal for Kyle Whittingham. A lot is being expected of the Abate. Then it becomes, what do you do at numbers two and three at, at linebacker? Um, Kareni Reed, again, is a, you know, he, he, he showed flashes last year. He has potential. He was very good when he was asked to step in there and play. The fascination to me at linebacker is how much do you trust Lander Barton? Again, 18-year-old kid, four-star kid, you know, spurned Oregon and Michigan and Texas. You know, the Barton family is Utah Athletics royalty. Both the older brothers, Cody Barton, Jackson Barton, played for Whittingham, got to the NFL. How much can you lean on Lander Barton early? Because he's probably going to have to play. That's the fascination to me. What are you getting at? out of Lander Barton on September 3rd. Josh, I I am looking at this conference, and I I see Utah. I see you know Lincoln Riley to USC. Oregon's in transition with a new coach, but they'll have some talent. Who are we not talking about? Who is it that's on your radar that maybe not in those three schools that could challenge? I'm pretty bullish um, on UCLA. Um, Dorian Thompson-Robinson comes back for a fifth year. Uh, Zach Charbonnet at very, very good running back for UCLA. Um, you know, a change at, uh, um, at D coordinator for the Bruins. UCLA gets Utah at home on October 8th, and they get USC also coming across town to the Rose Bowl. I think UCLA has enough not to, not to win the conference, but UCLA has more than enough to ruin somebody's season. So if we're thinking – that it's Utah and USC in some order. Okay, I don't fault anybody for picking USC to win the league, but if you're picking Utah and USC, I think I think UCLA could be a problem for either of those teams, especially given the fact that again they're getting both those teams at home. I, I I'm I'm bullish on UCLA. Certainly more bullish than um, than you know than most of us covering the league. I think. Am I nuts for thinking that USC could could stumble? Uh, you know, lose a game or two. I just saw them physically pushed around last year, and I'm not sure, you know, I guess, you know, the the, the great skill positions that they're bringing in, they're going to score a whole bunch of points, but I'm not sure they're not going to have a game, Josh, or two where where they lose a game we don't expect them to lose. Am I nuts? No, I'm with you. No, I'm with you there. No, you're definitely not crazy. Um, Lincoln Riley has obviously, obviously done a great job of hitting the transfer portal as we've said, with Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison um, and other skill position guys. But you don't turn over your offensive and defensive lines in one season. Okay, that's going to take, you know, two cycles, maybe three cycles to really get it to where you want to be. And I agree with you. Those guys got pushed around last year. Though, you know, those are weaknesses. Okay, they're not, you know, they, were, they weren't great up front on either side last year. And even if we put, even if we put them down for some level – of improvement, you're not going to be exactly where you want to be. So let's keep that in mind. I don't have the schedule in front of me, but USC has to go on the road uh, twice to open Pac-12 play. They're at Stanford. And at I Oregon State. At, Oregon, at State. Oregon State. Yeah. You know, you have to go to Oregon State. That's already a tough place to play. It's going to be a smaller crowd, correct me if I'm wrong, because they're doing construction yeah. there. Yeah. So it's going to be even more of an intimate atmosphere. So, you know, we're going to find out something about USC pretty immediately, having I, to, 
you know, breaking in a new coach, breaking in a new quarterback, breaking in new skill position guys. Oh, and you have to go on the road twice. So by the time, you know, by the time USC comes here on the 15th of October, I think we're going to know plenty about what the Trojans are. And no, I'm with you. If they stumble, you know, once, twice early, would not be surprised. Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. Before I let you go, I wrote today about my daughter's last day of school here in their school district, uh, and they're uh, you know off into summer. You got a newborn baby. How's the newborn baby? Are you getting anything done? Uh, yeah, some things are getting done. <laughs> you know what? I'm uh, I'm sleeping more than I had anticipated, which is good. Uh, with the exception of this morning, my you know my guy was up at four fifteen this morning. Didn't really appreciate that, but that's okay. <laughs> Um, look, it's been awesome. Um, he's, you know, he's smiling and he's laughing all over the place and he's babbling. Um, the way I see it, I've got another month plus until camp starts to get everything figured out. Um, we'll get it all done. But the whole, you know, the whole process, watching him, you know, grow up and turn into more of a little boy, not just a big, you know, kind of a lump of a baby, so to speak. The whole thing's I know, I know exactly what you mean. Anybody who's got kids knows what you mean. But uh, it's, uh, it's a journey, man. I appreciate you, Newman. Thanks for your expertise, and thanks for joining us. Talk to him, John. Thanks. There he is. Josh Newman, Salt Lake Tribune. Utah football, Kyle Whittingham trying to repeat as the Pac-12 champion. They caught, I thought, Oregon you know, in a in a big way at Salt Lake City late last season. We all saw it. It was an ambush. And then proved in the Pac-12 championship game they were the best team in the conference. I'm not buying USC yet. I think the South Division, so to speak, is Utah's to lose. And I, I agree with them that UCLA is going to be improved. I think they've been sniffing around it a little bit. I just don't quite think UCLA could win it. I think they could be a disruptor. I think that they could beat somebody. I think they could beat USC. I think they could beat uh, they could beat Oregon. They could beat Utah. They could be a disruptor. But I just don't see them as the consistent champion of the conference. I could, you know, prove me wrong, Chip Kelly. But I think they're a top half of the conference team. In in a lot of ways, I think their counterpart in the North Division is is Oregon State or Washington State. That kind of team. I think those two teams in the North could be disruptors. Washington State in particular with with uh, quarterback, uh, you know, they obviously have a transfer quarterback who's come in, Cameron Ward, who uh, is going to be running that air raid offense. Uh, but I, 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 I like Utah. I like Oregon, like everybody else does. And then my sleepers are Washington State, Oregon State, and UCLA. There's those five teams, two of those five, I think, are playing in the Pac-12 championship game. I don't like USC to get to the title game. I, I could be crazy for saying that, but I just don't see it. Leave it here. Our big splash coming up. You've got the home of the truth. Back to the bald-faced truth with John Canzano on 750 The Game. Blue skies, sunshine, summer officially underway. Wherever you may be listening to this, as Bill Shonley said once upon a time, uh, Blazers made a trade. They gave up uh, their 2025 first-round draft pick to the Detroit Pistons in exchange for Jeremy Grant. 
there are other pieces that are part of the puzzle here as it's becoming apparent that the Blazers gave up uh, more than just the one pick. They will also give up a 2022 second-round pick, the number 36 pick. They will, uh, uh, excuse me, number 46 pick to Detroit. And in return, they... Uh, they will get uh, – excuse me, I got that backwards. Okay, starting over. The Blazers are getting Jeremy Grant. We have that established. They are also getting Detroit's 2022 second-round pick, number 46 overall. Uh, the Pistons will take the Blazers' 2025 first-round pick. Then they will get the Blazers' 2022 second-round pick. So they are uh, moving up 10 spots in the draft order from 46 to 36. Pistons will also get the Blazers 2025 second round pick and a 2026 second round pick from the Blazers. So if you are a uh, Pistons fan, you are getting one first, you are getting three seconds, and you are giving up Jeremy Grant and a second. I have that, I think, summarized. If you're a Blazer fan, I think you view this as exciting. Short term, I think Damian Lillard gets to feel like the franchise values him and wants to put a player who is capable of competing now in the lineup. I think it makes the Blazers better next season. But are they better, Peter, than they were with C.J. McCollum, Robert Covington, Norman Powell? Would you put, you know, you put Jeremy Grant in the lineup, you still have some other pieces you need to fill in here. Yeah, I mean, look, the Jeremy Grant move is a home run, but but you need a five-run inning. <laughs> you know what I mean? So you got a solo <laughs> shot. That's a good start. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, we all saw what Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, that backcourt wasn't working. And so getting C.J.'s, you know, bloated salary off the books and Larry Nance, it's essentially those two guys plus the second-round pick becomes uh, Josh Hart and Jeremy Grant, two much more balanced players that are both out of position and need. It's Really interesting what's going to go down here in the next 24 hours as we approach the draft. I hope they get a good player in the draft. That's what I hope. I hope they take the pick at seven. Uh, there will be a player picked seven or below who will end up as an all-star. Bank that. Uh, I also was on record years ago saying, look, I love C.J. McCollum as an individual. I like uh, I like Damian Lillard. Everybody else does as an individual player. But I, I never really got pairing them together as – a uh, as a solution for a team that was going to play deep, deep, deep in the playoffs because I just think there was, you know, I, I need a little better defender if I'm going to play Lillard, uh, you know, in the backcourt. I need that counterpart to be a bigger guard. Uh, the big splash is that the Blazers are getting Jeremy Grant from Detroit. It, it'll be incumbent upon Joe Cronin, the general manager, to re-sign him. He becomes a uh, unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. The Blazers would have his bird rights, meaning they can pay more than other teams and they can go above the salary cap in order to do that. And uh, it puts them in a position, if they really like Jeremy Grant, to retain him. But I also think it's a little risky because if Jeremy Grant does end up getting away or doesn't quite pan out or you have to overpay to keep him, there's a tax that comes with that. Punch and Audio is coming up top of the hour. Anna will join us in the 4 o'clock hour. We'll go heavy on the NBA draft of the 5 o'clock hour. It's all laid out. You got the BFT. One hour in the books. Leave it right here. We'll be right back after a quick break. Up 
We interrupt this broadcast with a special announcement from the Bald Face hey, Truth. Sorry to interrupt the podcast, but if you want to listen to more of the Bald Face Truth Radio Show, including more of this segment that you're listening to, make sure you subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes to the Bald Face Truth Radio Show. Thanks for listening.